The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on You Need Therapy. Confidence and empowerment are very quiet. I think fear and insecurity are very loud. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability, it's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey, y'all. My name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Y'all. You are in for such a treat today. I have been waiting to share this episode with you for weeks, and I have a friend and fellow therapist, Courtney Grimes, on to talk to you guys. And really, I had this conversation for myself because it all started when she said something on a trip that we had gone on with a couple other therapists to tour some treatment centers. She said something, and it it clocked in my brain and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I said to myself, I'm going to have you on the podcast because we're going to have this conversation for everybody to hear because I know it will be fruitful and I know it will be helpful. So I could talk about Courtney for hours and how wonderful she is and how accomplished she is and how smart she is and how impactful she has been in the world. But what I'm going to do is let her show you that through all of the amazing things that she says during this episode. I was writing down note after note when we were speaking like I could not I felt like I couldn't make eye contact with her because I kept being like we have to write this down I have to write this down because she says so many things that are so important and that made like fireworks go off in my head she's just 
awesome. You can tell she was created to be doing the work she's doing. And I feel like I am rambling on like I'm like part of the Courtney Grimes fan club and maybe I am and maybe I'm going to be the president. So if anybody after this episode wants to join the fan club, uh, all the other spots are open. I'm sure Courtney would love that. But one thing I do want to mention before I introduce our conversation is the program she has created called The Collective. It offers a new level of care for treatment, which is called Extended Outpatient. And it focuses on something that gets left out quite a bit when it comes to treatment and recovery and therapy and all that comes with that. And we talk about that in the episode, so you'll hear us, but it is such a cool program. It has come and been developed out of experience, finding what's not working and finding what's missing and then filling in those holes. And if you guys hear us talk about it and you want to know more, you can find out more by going to mycollectivecare.com. I will also put links to everything you need to know about Courtney and everything you need to know about the collective in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about that, just click on the show notes, click on those links. They'll be there for you. I highly recommend being a part of anything Courtney does, anything she touches, honestly. So I want to say thank you, Courtney, for this conversation, because it is probably one of my favorites that I've had um, when it comes to the podcast. So without any more of my fangirling, I'm going to just let you guys hear all that Courtney had to say. And all that I had to say about what Courtney had to say, here's my conversation with Courtney Grimes. Courtney. Hi. Hi. I like to start, I started this last year with a couple people because introductions can be awkward and uncomfortable for myself and other people. So I like to hear what people would like to be introduced as if I could not use your job title. Interesting question. Like, how would you want me to introduce you to a group, whether you're speaking or like you're at a dinner party? And I'm like, this is Courtney. She is blank, but I cannot say she is a therapist. You would say, this is Courtney and she gets paid to make people cry. (laughs) (laughs) And watch them. But that's your job. Yeah. So who are, who, how do you want people to know you outside of that? Outside of that, I would say big spirit big thinker, sort of a global worldview kind of person, super open, don't meet strangers. You don't meet strangers. I love humans and I kind of hate us at the same time, <laughs> but I love us. We're great. We're great. So I, I am a, I like to think of myself as a collector of human narratives. Okay. I like that you said big thinker cause you are. And I like that you said, did you say, I don't meet a stranger? You don't, you're like friends with literally anybody that even makes a glance at you. Yeah. We're all the same. Yeah. You're like, I know your story now. Yeah, totally. You looked at me for and five now seconds. We're best friends. Yes. It's super annoying. I don't think it's annoying. <laughs> you think it's annoying to other people or annoying to you? Oh, to everybody. They're is like, ex- why are you touching my hair? I'm like, it's so pretty. Isn't it hard <laughs> as a therapist to not, when you are, I'm a um, love language, physical touch. Yes. So I, when I'm talking to somebody, I just I like want to hold them. them. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that hard? I just want to touch their arm and like and like scratch their back. Yeah, and everyone's like, "This is this is assault." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't ask for consent. You're like, I didn't. I signed nothing. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So, also, I have a couple of fun questions before we get into the stuff because Courtney, as you guys know, is a therapist. So, when I have therapists on, we tend to. Well, sometimes, I mean, we're going to have fun because it's Courtney, but we tend to talk to, about more serious stuff. So that we would start with some fun things. 
What are two of the most important things you learned about being a therapist after you already were one? I don't know if I can limit that to two. So first, I would say being a therapist after I started to actually sit in sessions with human lives and people and stories, they don't really teach you how to do that in, in school. No, like It's not in a book. It's not in a book or a classroom, yeah. right? So I think that was sort of a punch in the face when I first, when you, when you first start yeah. out, you're like, oh my God, this is somebody's life. Don't screw this up don't screw this. They're coming to yeah. you because they don't know what's up and they need to figure some stuff out. So I think the mess of the human life, the messiness of it, the tangles, we all kind of, there isn't ever like a clear cut answer. There's not like a yeah. therapy answer. There's not like a, um, oh, well, here's your problem. Let me flip to page 58 yes. in my therapy manual. And this, and this is what I say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like that's not, that was sort of a slap in the face and it's like, oh my God. And it's so crazy too, because you can have two or three people that you work with who have similar issues, but the answers are all going to be different for that person because mm -hmm. they're having their own experience. And I know you and I have talked about that yep. before too. It's the, the, the myriad of each human experience and human narrative is so unique. Yeah. And that for me bleeds into kind of the second big thing that I've learned over the years back way, way up. As a therapist, I need to take up the least amount of space in the room. It's not about me. It's not about what I think or what I feel. All that has to be checked at the door, right? Mm -hmm. so, so I have then the luxury of total objectivity. I can look at this person and see them almost as a compassionate little puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so my client and I will work to deconstruct the puzzle and pull all these pieces apart and figure out how to reconstruct that puzzle to make things kind of work a little bit better for them. But I mean, I do the same thing with my therapist, right? Yeah. So when I am in my fire and I'm in my life and I'm too close to all my relationships and my people and all my ish, I can't see past the flame. I can't, I yeah. can't see on the outside of my own fire, right? So then she has the luxury of objectivity as someone watching me being on fire, being like, yo, homie, the bucket of water is down there by your feet. Oh, yes. You might want to just reach down for that. It's right there. Yeah. You can't see it. It's right there. You know, both of those things I think are so important because one thing I thought I didn't know I was going to be a therapist until I like basically was in grad school and I was like, how did I get here? <laughs> um, and I remember, cause I was my major, I was in child and family studies. And I remember my advisor was a marriage and family therapist, but I thought I was going to go work for just a, a nonprofit or something. So totally. I remember looking at my advisor and being like, wow, what a special kind of alien human <laughs> that like, she has all these things programmed in her head mm -hmm. that she knows what to say and I think when you said I don't like open a book and say oh she said this now I go here and it yeah. says now say it's not there's no be manual easy? that'd be so easy oh, that would God. make our jobs so easy it would make our jobs really easy but then we would be really bad at our jobs it would also make it, the human experience very easy which yes, it is not. it's not right right so I think that was something when I learned that like oh nobody can teach a, a therapist exactly what to say mm -hmm. that's not a thing mm -hmm. that was scary and also at the same time kind of cool because I was Very like oh, liberating yeah. yeah and then also the part learning that it's not about me for me that came when I realized that I am not here to save everybody yeah like I thought I was really powerful mm -hmm. and then I was like okay if I'm not here to have glory mm -hmm. of saving somebody's life mm -hmm. and I'm just here to like 
help them do that. That's right. Totally different game. That's right. Which is why on the podcast, I know you guys listening probably hear this from me a lot. And I'm sure you get this from clients that are like, you saved my life. And I'm always like, no, No, I I didn't. didn't. No, I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm like, you did that. You did that. That's right. And uh, why I um, so often and like, I don't want to answer. I have a segment on here where people send in questions and I answer them. And I usually answer them back with questions Mm -hmm. because the goal is for you to know you more than you than I do. Mm -hmm. Like not for me to know you. And I don't want that power I don't ever want to be looked at as a therapist maybe in my personal life I have these issues I don't know but as a therapist I don't want to ever be looked at as any kind of idol right I'm just a person that knows some things and can see things that other people can't see all the time that's right so I love that and then my next question if you could invent a potion to cure one thing I'm in my Harry Potter era right now (laughs) so (laughs) I can't stop over Christmas I watched all the movies and now I'm listening to the books and I'm like planning a trip to go to Harry Potter world like I'm totally in that right now so that's where this question came to my head but if you could invent a potion to cure one thing that clients you hear clients come to you often wanting to in quotes fix what would you want to be able to cure loneliness I knew you were gonna say that okay why hands down okay why It's something that everybody feels now more than ever, but I think that it's something that everybody feels and nobody talks about. I think we are now in this age, this era, whatever you want to call it, where it's become more important than ever for our shell to look perfect, be perfect, be on try to monetize Mm -hmm. stuff on social media like we're all we're all so focused on the shell on Mm -hmm. the outer no one's really talking about what's going on in the inside in a vulnerable way right if that makes sense and over the years what i have found and what I, i experience in my own life is we're all going through the exact same shit everybody is it is the human experience and nobody's talking about it Mm -hmm. so client after client after hour after hour after day after month after year i'm listening to all of these fantastic gorgeous brilliant wonderful humans come in and tell me that they don't have any friends Mm -hmm. they feel like they're the only one going through what they're going through where do i meet people people don't like me and i'm thinking how you're like you're incredible how is this possible and then Mm -hmm. the more I kept hearing the story from all these different people I'm like oh my god we all have the same story Mm -hmm. I would invent a potion to cure loneliness in my very humble opinion it seems to be the root of everything else I think Mm -hmm. there is so much happening with mental emotional spiritual social health that can be stripped down we really really peel those onions it comes down to feeling alone Amen. I agree with everything you just said and what is popping into my brain. We have actually created this manufactured vulnerability that gives us the ability to pretend better that we are being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but really we are less vulnerable than we ever have been. And I'll give you an example of, oh, this spoils me to my core. When people post a picture of them crying, Oh God. On Instagram. Yeah. And I will say I did recently, I think I posted this to Instagram. I posted a picture of me crying after I watched. Did you watch from scratch on Netflix? Oh my God. From start to finish. (sighs) I know. Were you not audibly (laughs) sobbing like a baby? Yeah. And then I photographed it and put it online. 
Just kidding. No, I did do that. <laughs> well, I, I'm saying that because I did that. I was bawling. I so have bad. not cried like that. Cap. Because that that can happen. That story yes. is like, and it happens all the time. Anyway, that's not important. But I do, I have to say this because I did, t- I took a picture and sent it to my boyfriend and said, when are you coming home? And he was like, what is going on with you? And I posted that picture and said like has anybody else seen scratch from scratch blah blah blah. i'm like so sad but that was not me being vulnerable because i was crying i wasn't trying to share anything really deep about my life i just was like this movie is so sad like or this show so yeah i did that but i see when people are like in the midst of something hard or their kids are acting up or they didn't get something they wanted And never in my life, in the midst of true despair like that, have I been like, hold on, I got to get my phone and share this on Instagram. I have my experience and then I I might share that with somebody. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's almost like exploiting an emotion versus connecting. Well, and hear what you're saying too, right? So like if I post those kinds of photos on Instagram, what is it that I'm after? Yeah. Connection. I'm after somebody to reach out to me and say, hey, girl, you okay? What's going on? Versus right? what if I texted somebody? Right. Or called somebody. But that, that's, that's vulner- scary. That's vulnerability. That, yes. To say, hey, can I talk to you? I need, right? So again, even with that kind of stuff, when we pull back that manufactured vulnerability, what, why, what's the motive of doing that? More than likely, it's some kind of connection or validation. So mm-hmm. again, like... I, I am finding that it really comes down to loneliness or feeling all alone. And so, so that shows up everywhere, all over people's lives, right? And then that manifests into mental illnesses, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, things like that, right? And then we use food and booze and social media and shopping and all the things to medicate mm-hmm. the depression and anxiety and the medicate or the depression and the anxiety really are just a byproduct of... of- feeling all alone in this world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know this makes me sound a million years old, but I, this world, God, I feel like it's getting bigger and bigger and smaller and smaller all at the same time. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, I feel like the two or three degrees of separation is like really, really applicable. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many, mm-hmm. pe- like it's, it's so much. I get really overwhelmed from all of the stuff, all of the TikTok, all of this, it's all so of the much Instagram, all the, it's yeah. so much. And this pressure to like put out all this. I'm thinking like, oh my, like we aren't meant, I feel like we're not meant to have that much information I don't think we're meant to consume the way we yeah. consume or our brains. I had a conversation. process it. That yeah. Fact, you I know? had a conversation with somebody about social media a couple of years ago and she helped me kind of think differently about how I demonize social media because mm. again I like social media yeah. but it's it's almost like these things have created problems mm-hmm. they, they are helpful in some way but those there's also problems now and it's, we haven't caught up mm-hmm. and tried to look at the issues and resolve those mm-hmm. we just are putting band-aids on mm-hmm. them but that is our culture that's right. that's how we roll right and i definitely do not demonize social media i think there's so I much good yeah. that comes from it but i think like anything else people will misuse it yes. like anything else i don't yeah. think it's any different from anything else in the whole world in that way mm-hmm. right and i think that we try to use it like we try to use anything else to get our needs met yeah that's really it yeah well, I guess I wonder this, even thinking about that, like if we didn't have social media mm. 
and I needed some connection. I was feeling really lonely. And so I post this picture of me crying. If I didn't have social media to do that, what would I do? I would probably have another vice. I wouldn't probably call my friend. Maybe. I mean, I grew up without the internet, without social media, without all of that stuff. That stuff really, really hit when I was kind of in my late 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't have that as an option. And I would call my mom. I would call my friend. I would talk to my... There would be a human being sitting with yeah. me, I guess. I think that... Yeah. Because now I'm, I'm coming back to like... I do have the belief that for the most part, we're going to choose the easier option. Oh, of course. So we have an easier option. So I'm going to choose that. But if I didn't have an easier option, then I would... Choose the only mo- option. Right. Yeah, totally. Yes. You got it. All right. So I can't wait for you to come out with that potion. <laughs> Me too. You're going to be a bajillionaire. We're going to retire, Kat. Yeah, for sure. So I asked Courtney to come here for a couple of reasons. One being, we went on a... I don't even know what to call this trip. What is it? Like excursion? A, what an excursion <laughs> to California uh, with a couple other people that work in therapy world. And we had a lot of conversations about a lot of things, but we talked a lot about mental health in general and something that you said a couple times that it's as though I was searching for that sentence, mm-hmm. but I didn't know I was searching for it. And that's why I feel like I can't let it go. Wow. But I'm like, oh God, what did I say? Well, <laughs> it's, it's when you said in the real world, mm. nobody cares about your recovery. Mm-mm. And we were touring some treatment centers and both of us have an experience of working outpatient with clients individually and in treatment centers. And I started in a treatment center and that's all I knew and so I would set people up for their aftercare plans but I really probably didn't know what I was doing because I had never been in that world and so anyway we're out there talking to either the treatment centers the people there or just each other about okay well what do we see as a common issue like there's so much good Mm. treatment in yes the world there are so many good professionals there's so Mm -hmm. there's so many avenues for people to get help but why is it that over and over and over and over again I would see this as somebody who worked in treatment before I was on the side and for those who are listening you're like what are you talking about when I say treatment I mean like residential treatment where you go somewhere you live there for at least 30 days and you've limited contact with the outside world all of your vices are taken away there's a lot of structure like that is where I when you think of rehab that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's where I worked. And now I'm in this outpatient world where I see a client maybe once, maybe twice a week for an hour at a time. And so what I saw and what I learned early on is, I don't know what the actual stat is. So if I'm wrong, I'm not, this is an example of a statistic. But back then I was reminded very often that really one out of 10 of your clients is gonna make it. And I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to, die as soon as they leave treatment but one out of 10 of your clients is going to actually find long-term recovery from whatever it is i'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for god to give you your next step and you don't know what it is yet you need god to show you your next step Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One out of 10 of your clients is going to actually find long-term recovery from whatever it is. That's so crazy to me because these clients that I'm working with, more than 10% of them leave treatment being so excited Mm. to go out and have this new experience. They're so excited about finally liking themselves and I I can't wait to actually go back to school and get a new job or I can't wait to be in healthy, like so excited. Mm -hmm. And if I went back and looked at all the clients from treatment that I had, even the ones that I was like, if that one's going to make it, that they're going to make it. Relapse. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I want you to tell me where this sentence in the real world, no one cares about your recovery, where does that come from? Because I know it doesn't come from a place of like, I hate people. No, not at all. It actually comes from a place of experience. So about 20 years ago, I started a pretty brutal eating disorder recovery. I was pretty sick for for a while and started my recovery process. And what I noticed when I got, I don't want to say like got through with the process, but you start to kind of come out of it and things are, you learn all of these tools. You learn all of these ways Mm -hmm. to keep yourself healthy, to stay in recovery from this particular addiction. And 
I would feel really, really excited about this new life I was going to have. Right. But then I would like go home and my roommates on keto or I call my mom and she's on a diet or, um, you turn on the TV, turn on the TV and <laughs> yeah. there's ads for like fat free, blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. And that would really, really piss me off. And I'd be like this, how am I supposed to stay recovered from an eating disorder when all of this stuff is around me? Mm-hmm. And then it would like blow up my relationships mm-hmm. because I would get mad at my roommate or I get angry with my mom and pick fights with mom. You shouldn't be doing that. And oh my gosh, these ads are so, right. And so it caused so much turmoil and anger and like yeah. unrest in myself until I realized, wait, court, yo, 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 hold up. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares that you're recovering from an eating disorder. You're the only one who really, really is responsible mm-hmm. for taking care of this. I can't change American culture. And mm-hmm. Lord knows I'm not going to be able to change my mom's diet patterns. That's been, that's been in place she, a long time. She doesn't long, want to. Nope. Like long she time. Has, yeah. Long time. And in realizing that for myself all those years ago, it was this weird, it's going to sound really weird, but it was like this relief almost. It, 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 it relieved the anger that mm-hmm. I was penting, that I had pent up. It, it, it sort of like helped all of this hostility and othering that I was doing evaporate. And I thought the rest of the world, it's not everybody else's job to cater to me and what I need. It's my job to recognize what I need and get my needs met. And it's nobody else's fault. And I don't have to be, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just living their life. So it was really healing in that way. So then fast forward to me entering this field and becoming a mental health care professional. And I, I saw that with everyone that I was working with, these beautiful, lovely, amazing people coming home from rehab facilities, whether it was for drinking, for drug trauma, eating, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? And what I was noticing is that we're all having this kind of same recovery experience where you go off to these beautiful, I mean, you and I toured mm-hmm. them, they're breathtaking. I'm like, when, where's my I know. suite? <laughs> oh my God, this place is incredible. There's I need to test this out. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah. Not that, what, this is so, and they're everywhere and they're just the kindest, most amazing people run these places. And there is such a need for that, right? There, sometimes there is a need when people get in too deep with stuff like I did, right? You just get in too deep and you have to sort of go to a bubble, like a little mm-hmm. safe, warm, bunny filled, confetti falling <laughs> treatment bubble where everything's like awesome, right? And you're like surrounded by everybody who speaks the language and everybody, uh-huh. you, like everything that leaves your mouth, everybody else in the room is like, oh my God, same here. Yeah. Right? Like that's amazing. And it's so empowering and it's so validating. The problem with that is, is is isn't real life, mm-hmm. Right. So what I was finding is that all of these people who are these beautiful, gorgeous, amazing people are coming back from these places and they've done beautiful work, like you said, for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, sometimes longer. And they come home and they're on fire for life and they're on fire for the recovery and they're the healthiest maybe they've ever been. And they're so excited about all this new stuff that's going to happen, but they go right back to the same environment that made them sick. And the expectation is that the environment's going to shift and cater to me and what I need to maintain this bunny confetti filled bubble. That's not real. It's treatment and treatment is beautiful and it's needed. Mm -hmm. There also has to be some type of ownership coming home where it's like, okay, I have to now internalize that little bubble that has to live inside of me. 
And I can't force anybody else to be in that bubble with me. That's not how the world works, right? So like I remember having a, a conversation with somebody once. They came home. They'd been gone for 60 days for alcohol use disorder, for substance use disorder with alcohol. She comes home and came to session. She'd been home maybe a month, month and a half, and was freaking out because her boyfriend wanted to go to the Titans game with her to go see a football game. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I can't do it. There's like beer everywhere. People are drinking. I can't be there. I can't be there. And I say, well, honey, why, why, why can't you be there? I can't be around. I I can't be, I can't go to bars. I can't, I can't go to sporting. I can't go. And I said, well, sweetheart, if, if you think that you can live the rest of your life, not ever being around alcohol at all ever, you're going to like really not be able to leave your living room. Right. You've got to learn how to internalize that bubble and internalize all of that stuff to where you can maintain that and be Mm -hmm. level set and expose yourself to all of these triggers and be able to come out of that just fine. And don't ask or expect or want the whole world to not drink Bud Light if you're in the room. They're going to do it. And that's okay. That's okay. They can but you are still safe. And so when I say things like, Oh, that's important. Yeah. I think you just saying like, they're still going to drink it and you are still safe. Yeah. And, and, and it does not threaten your safety. Mm-hmm. It's yes. And it's not either, or everybody else is still very much free to live their life and make their choices just like you are. And them making their choices for their life truly, truly doesn't have to close line or completely derail your own pro it's okay Mm -hmm. it's okay and i think that that is where you see a lot of people kind of relapse they don't have either the resources or the support or even like in this weird way the permission yeah right well because what i to do kind of heard in a lot of that is this belief is created that safety is a hundred percent dependent on our environment mm, versus dangerous stuff. And yes, versus mm-hmm. safety is something that I create within that's myself. Right. That's right. And when I heard that from somebody that was really game changing mm-hmm. because I kind of had that experience of like, Oh, yeah. safety isn't when I've had 10 experiences where I've hung out with my family and nobody's mentioned that I look skinny yeah. or that, Oh, look at this. I don't know example of some kind of diet that I'm doing like that's not safety of that no safety is that like I know certain things to be true within myself that I believe that I'm capable of certain things that I know what I need versus these people are behaving the way I want them to behave that's right and you see it pop up a lot in relationship right Mm -hmm. and this will probably be something that I will struggle with the rest of my life is just sort of that codependent little kind of twang kind of kind of bangs around in the back of your brain like I'm only okay if you're okay with me. If you're happy with me and you like me, then I feel safe. Well, that's given you a lot of power, boo. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be able to feel safe even if you are upset with me, even if you don't like me, even if I try to play with your hair and you yell assault and fire and run out of the room. <laughs> you're still okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I mean, yeah. until the lawsuit hits, I'm yeah, fine. <laughs> But it's, but it shows up everywhere, right? Like we try to put our safety in other things or other people or ideas or Mm -hmm. environments. And it really does. I think that's where we get tripped up. Okay. I like that you said that with relationships because this is a little off topic, but it is on topic. You know, the experience of, I'm sure you have clients like this where they're dating and the whole focus pre-date is 
is this person going to like me mm-hmm. versus do am I, I like going to like this person? Yes. yes. And so you go into this, d- this date without a strong sense of, I would say safety using that language Amen. or like a sense of self or any of that, but we'll use safety. Mm-hmm. You go into that date without it. And then let's say they, they don't text you. Then it is in session next week talking to their therapist. I feel horrible. What's wrong they with me? I was terrible. What mm-hmm. did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And it is like speaking a unknown language to somebody when you say what if you didn't do anything wrong what if sometimes people just don't like you because you're not compatible or because it just is what it is there doesn't have to be an underlying reason and that's okay Mm -hmm. because not everybody is going to like you Mm -hmm. and that is just reality that's right that's it's impossible If, if everybody were to like me then I would have to be the most inauthentic person in the world. Well, you wouldn't even be one person. Yes, exactly. It would be really bizarre. It reminds me of, um, I work with a lot of higher profile actors, celebrities, things like that. And a lot of these folks, when they first start out and they're kind of auditioning for parts, they don't get it. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm a whore. I was horrible in my audition. Yes. They didn't like me. I was too fat. I was too thin. I was too loud. I was too quiet. All these things. And I'm like, baby that director already had a very specific idea of that character and what he wanted that character to look like, sound like, be like height, hair, all of it. And he just is waiting for that person to walk in the room. He's waiting for that person to walk in the room. It just wasn't you. That, yeah. that conception was there before you even found out there was an audition, before you're in there. Also, somebody said something to me a while back about you know, in the, in dating context, right? Like to find your person, you're going to have to say no to 99% of the other people. Otherwise you have to say no. Of course it's not going to work. That's how you find your, your person. I love thinking about that. Like I can sit there and think about that for a while. So many hours because yes, (laughs) for, if I'm looking for one person now, I do believe that I could probably, be okay with multiple people but if i'm looking for one person to settle down with that means i am saying no to to every other person in the world a lot of people a lot of stuff and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with any of them they're wonderful it's just not what you're particularly looking for for yes and that's okay yes so and i think that when you have the experience when you finally are like I get it. It's like, how did I not get that? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Um, I know. But I do like that example of the with the acting of, oh my gosh, I must be bad. And it's no, like, no, you're wonderful. You could be perfect for this part yeah. and the worst option for that part. And it's okay. It's okay. <sighs> okay. So we got a little bit off topic, but that's <laughs> we do that. what we like about <laughs> this. So we kind of touched on the idea that like, okay, there's a hole in this treatment world of we set people up we give them all these things they do all this and they get out of treatment ready to go and then it's almost like most of the people drown yeah totally in your eyes seeing this happen over and over and even having your own experience going back to the idea of potions (laughs) where can we as a mental health field and humans they can be two different answers where can we fill in that gap of Treatment sets us up well, but also sets us up to fail in the real world. Yeah. Where can we fill in those holes? How can we fill in those holes? I mean, I love that. I think especially if anybody's listening who is in an outpatient role, 
I, all right, I'm just going to get on my little soapbox for just a second. We love that. And it's a little rickety, but it, you know, it still holds me and say that we are a capitalist economy, mm-hmm. right? America is all about the individual. It's the American dream, right? Like you can rise up out of anything and create your own path and make your own way. I love that. It's a, it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. awesome. You see people do it all the time. It's incredible. However, comma, I think that that individualistic yeah. sort of nature that we are as a country, as a culture has really trickled into mental health. So here's what I mean by that. I can scoop you up cat and I can do amazing work with you as an individual in yeah. the context of our conversations and our sessions and our work, homie, it is all about you. Where we're falling short, I think, as a field, as a profession, where we're really letting people down, we're not teaching people how to function in a system and reminding them that it isn't all about you. The world is not all about you. Mm-hmm. It's not all about you. You are a part of something way, way bigger. And so it's, again, it's not either or, it's yes and. Yes, in your bubble, in your heart, in your life, of course you need to put yourself first. Of course you've got to take care of your own needs, mm-hmm. but not to the detriment of others, right? So it's yes and. Yes, maintain your recovery. Yes, do what you got to do for you and understand that there's other people with needs too. There's other people with feelings. There's other people in the world. There's other people in your little systems, whether it's at school or your family or at work. And you are a part of that. That idea has been, I'll speak personally versus professionally, really helpful because I was one of those people, which is a natural thing I want people to hear, who was so resentful of the world when it came to just diet culture mentality. Totally. So resentful. And looking back on it, I wonder if there's a part of me that's like really did think like the world was out to get me. Yeah, it, well, it feels that way. Yeah. It does. <laughs> like my family's out to get me. Everybody hates me. Yeah. Why yeah. do they want me to fail? Totally. What's wrong with me? That's right. And hearing you say that, and applying some of that stuff in my own life, I think has allowed me to have healthy boundaries, but not rigid relationships. I love that. Because the initial desire is cut those people off. That's right. Cut those Cancel. places off. That's I right. I can never go to a gym again. I never can watch a TV show again. Right. I can never be self-deprecating anyway yeah. like I can't like ev- everything's so serious I can't exhale and just relax into my life I can't have yeah that's right so now I see when I things that I would have taken personally mm. now I see as things that have nothing to do with me for example for I think this is something that people probably can relate to more so I'm not saying that this not, mom if you're listening I'm not attacking you right now but like let's say that my mom was somebody who every week was like which she didn't do this so I feel safe saying this but like who every week was like I found this new diet that I think will work for you mm-hmm. or every week hey I started this new cleanse or cleanse. whatever yeah. it is not about my mom trying to fix something that's wrong with me correct that can be something that is all about my mom mm-hmm. who's working on their own stuff mm-hmm. and who am I to say as an bystander that they're doing their life wrong. Yeah, exactly. Now, if my mom's coming to me and asking for feedback and help and whatever, 
I might be, be like, I might be like, well, this behavior seems a little off. And like, I wonder if this has, but that's what I do for my job. Right. That's why I can give that feedback to clients. But who am I to say when it comes to the world that what everybody is doing, because it didn't work for me, it isn't allowed to be what works for them in that moment. Because yeah. what I know about addiction and I don't want people to hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying that addiction is good. But what I do know about it is it is a solution to a problem mm. that works for a period of time and then it stops working. That's right. And we have a hard time accepting that. That's right. So my eating disorder worked for me for a period of time. Yes, it did. And mine too. It could have saved somebody's life at one point. And who am I to say as a bystander, not as a mental health professional, but who am I to say in that world to say like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Because if somebody said that to me at a certain point in my life, it actually could have done more harm. Yeah. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But who am I to say in that world to say, like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Because if somebody said that to me at a certain point in my life, it actually could have done more harm. Totally. And I I love that you said it's a solution until it's not. I think that this kind of stuff creeps up on you, right? Like you don't wake up one day and have an eating disorder. You don't wake up one day addicted to alcohol. I'm I guess, I mean, that could happen, I guess, but typically it's, it's more gradual, right? Yeah. Like it's a, so we're looking to medicate something on the inside, right? Because the inside is not settled and safe, mm-hmm. right? And yes, they look like beautiful, convenient, quick, quick yeah. solutions, but they're very maladaptive solutions. Just mm-hmm. because they're maladaptive doesn't mean it's not working. Right. It's working. Right. It's not going to work out well in the long run, but it's working right now, right? Like if I, you know, put down a bottle of wine, I'm going to feel all right for a little while until I wake up tomorrow and I feel like shit. Yeah. But like it works until it's right. So I like the way that you phrase that. And when I, when I work with clients who are in any kind of addiction recovery process, whether it's a chemical dependency or a process addiction, like an eating disorder, I try to never demonize the addiction. Right. I almost have gratitude for my eating disorder. It got me through some pretty rough stuff. It really, it it might've saved me for a little while. Mm -hmm. Right. But then that the addictive nature of all of the dieting and the restrict, all the stuff, right. Grabs a hold of your brain and then you're not in charge of it anymore. And it's in charge of you. And then it's like, Oh my God. And then you face plants. So it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole system. And I think to, you know, to bring it back to what you were saying before too, I will always need to maintain my own recovery Mm -hmm. simultaneously with like, like understanding simultaneously that it's not all about me. There are billions of other people in the world and each little life is all about them too. Mm -hmm. So I, yes, I have to take care of myself and yes, I've got to prioritize my recovery process. Of course I do. Mm -hmm. And I have to honor everybody else's process and everybody else's experience because there is no one right experience to have which is goes back to what you said in the very beginning there's not a manual so god that'd be so great right yeah but that's why when we see things that are similar in other people mm-hmm. it's like let me tell you that how that was a problem for me and how i stopped and why this and i did it at this point and yeah okay but they very well might get to the point that you got yeah. but it but maybe not and that's not for us and that's okay and that's okay i can still have my safety yes without solving everybody else's issues yes and i think a succinct way to kind of think about that is someone else's right to self-determination doesn't threaten mine oh that's good we all say that again we all have the right to self-determination right so your right to self-determination doesn't threaten my right to myself it's it's both we can we that it can all exist all together that's so good that is everybody write that down And when you're hyper-focusing on everybody else, you yeah, go back to that. they've got the right to make their decisions. Yeah. Just, now, I will say this. We don't have the right to hurt other people. We don't have the right to, how do I say it? Like, like I have, I have the right to feel angry, but I don't have the right to punch you in the face because I'm angry. Yes. Does that, do, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, so I think there's an ownership and there's an accountability that's kind of being lost with a lot of mm-hmm. mental health stuff this, these yes. days. Yes. Right. So it's like I, I have to own my self-determination without threatening, without imposing a threat yeah. on someone else as well. 
you I'm okay so I this is coming up in my head right now and I want to say this and tease us out so we started talking about this like loneliness epidemic in the world right outside of the conversation we're having now and then we're having this conversation about how you know people who go to treatment get set up to fail and they 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 come back into the world and we start to pick apart the world and the issue with that because as I was thinking about that I was like wait okay if we are then creating more individualism within ourselves outside of treatment then am I setting myself up to be more lonely but the answer is no because going back to what I said when I said I've been able to have better relationships because I can have boundaries but it doesn't have to be so rigid that's the whole and I hope this is making sense to everybody but that's the whole where I come out of treatment it's either black or white it's either yes or no and so I very often become very secluded and because to stay safe I have to stay alone because other people threaten my recovery that's right but the solution is no you can be in relationship with people and their stuff that doesn't match with your exact stuff doesn't have to threaten your safety. That's right. Or, so, or your decision. So how do right. I learn how to sit in that space where there are people that are going to disagree with me? There's people that are going to behave differently than me. Mm-hmm. There are people that are going to just have different sets of beliefs, which is a whole issue right now oh, where God, we cannot yeah. tolerate it. We cannot tolerate anybody who doesn't agree with every single thing. But you hear say. what you just said. That is the epicenter of self-centeredness. Yeah. Yeah, that's the core of it. So what you'll find typically is folks who are very insecure in their recovery. I I, I call it baby deer legs. They're just kind of they're new. They're a little bit shaky. Um, they're not quite ready to stand it. They're not a tall oak tree kind of yeah kind of presence yet within themselves. Right? Kind of. I was there. We're all there mm-hmm. when we get out of it. At that point in your recovery, you do need to surround yourself with folks that mirror a recovered life back to you until you get a little stronger in your own recovery. And then you got to kind of start to join, join other mm-hmm. people, right? And not limit yourself. It's the same thing with folks who cannot tolerate other, and this is a whole other podcast, religious beliefs, political beliefs, any, anybody who thinks or feels or reacts to things differently than me, I can't tolerate it if I'm insecure with what I think and feel. I, st- I have baby deer le- legs with my opinions. I have baby deer legs with my reactions to things. I'm still getting to know this part of myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, you cannot tolerate anything but a mirror. You have to have that mirrored back to you, right? So it's like, I'm okay, right? This is okay that I think this and I feel this and I do, right, right? Like you do it too, right? You got to do it too. Wait, you don't do it? Get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? yes. But like the, mo- the more like secure yeah. you become in your recovery process, the more you become secure in what you truly n- know to be true about you. I really believe it comes down to a core safety. The safer you feel on the inside, on the inside, the more you can tolerate on the, it's like, okay, because it's not a threat. It's cool. I got you, girl. Like, it's it's cool. You think differently or you do life differently or you, you know, you do sugar-free this or gluten-free. Okay, cool. I don't need that mirror back to me anymore because I'm so safe on the inside with me and who I am and what I need that I can love you for exactly who and what you are. And that's wonderful. You know what I did? Ugh. I'm cringing. <laughs> and if my friends are listening to this, you're like, 
probably sitting there about to sit there and say, I- I've been waiting for you to say that. <laughs> but when you said that thing about sugar free, I remember very clearly when I'm like in my, I probably was baby deer legs, but I thought, but I thought I was, we know everything. Yes. Totally. I am so empowered and I am woke and I'm this and I'm that. And I like, wouldn't let my friends say things about themselves. Like I feel ugly or I even things like, does this, do these jeans make my legs look this way? Or, I wouldn't let them say anything that has anything to do with them having any insecurity. Mm-hmm. I would be like, you can't say that. Yeah. And I, I know where it came from. It comes from this place of like, I want my friends to talk well about themselves. I want us to be focusing on what's good. I don't want my friends to think that they're, what they look like is the most important thing about them. Like, mm-hmm. I understand where that came from, but that had to have been so freaking annoying because it is part of the human experience to be insecure about certain things. And I don't have to act like I am totally 115% obsessed with every single part of myself to be in recovery. Amen. Like I can actually not like what something looks like. Well, that's what I said. That's what I tell people. I'm like, you are female and American, right? It's in our DNA to not like the like stuff about the way we look. Yes. But you don't have to go nose diving into an eating disorder about right. it. Right. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's okay. What am I going to do? It's yeah, okay. But it not, not, not allowing people to have their experience right. is so not necessary mm-hmm. because my friend thinking something, it, it really was about me. Of I think it, was, it, it goes back to like when people say that around me, around me, I feel like I then start thinking about my stuff mm-hmm. and what I'm insecure about. And I needed to learn that like, Hey, I can hold my insecurities and also hold the things I'm confident about. Like, let's say something that my friend is insecure about on their body. I don't really care about on mine. I can hold those things to be true, even though it's not their truth. And I am finally to a point where I can do that. And I am telling you, I don't think I could have done recovery that way. It was so freaking exhausting mm. all the time yeah. to be hyper-focused on what everybody else is saying, what everybody else is doing, what is on, again, what's on the TV. Yeah. Am I doing everything right? Am I doing like, oh, I shouldn't have that thought. I shouldn't. Blah, blah, blah. Where's my manual? Yes. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, I get to be a human being who sometimes changes her outfit four times a day <laughs> because I can't find something that I like. That's right. And I'm allowed to have a day where I don't want to be in a picture. And I'm allowed to have a moment where I'm having thoughts that I don't want to have, have, but that does not threaten the fact that I can make good decisions for myself and also still love myself. And so I'm going off on a tangent, but yeah, I think that is just so important for people to allow. It's, it's almost like I'm talking about something very simple, allow grayness to exist in other people's lives, my life, recovery. I want to say something to that because I think it's so important. In in my very humble opinion, I think everything in the entire universe boils down to either love or fear. Now, Ooh. some people call it good and evil. In my personal experience, it's love or fear. So, so let me break down what you just said in that context, okay. right? Like I have so much compassion for that stage of recovery and the fear associated with it, right? So the baby deer legs or the intolerance of things and people and viewpoints and, you know, behaviors around you. If I feel the need to control everything, why do humans need a false sense of control like that? Right? Scared. We're scared to death. Okay. What am I scared of? Well, 
I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of being left out. I'm afraid of not being loved. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of not belonging. I'm afraid of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's something on the inside that we are terrified of that is fear-based that then will manifest in these kind of controlling thoughts and controlling behaviors. We don't really have a whole lot of control in this world outside of ourselves. We just, we just don't, right? So the idea that we want to control everything around us, I have so much compassion for that because when you pull that layer back, what's underneath it is somebody who's scared to death, mm-hmm. who doesn't yet have that really strong, stoic oak tree of safety inside of them quite yet, right? Just yet. So all of this stuff boils down to fear. Now, On the flip side of that coin, if I uh, sit back and let Kat make all of her decisions and run her life the way she sees fit for her, she's not infringing on me or my ability to make my decisions or run my life. And sometimes we agree on stuff and sometimes we don't, and that's okay, but I never feel the need to control you. That boils down to love and safety, right? I'm safe on the inside. So it's me and Kat instead of me or Kat. And I'm free to just love you. I just love you and I love everything about you. And in my opinion, it allows for a deeper type of relationship. And I then allow you to teach me more about me by being your friend and being mm-hmm. in relationship with you. It helps me grow. So mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, everything, you can really do that with just about anything. Boil it down to yeah. either love or fear. And fear is usually a lie. Yeah, and I am like sitting here thinking about and putting that in context of all my relationships past and present and how we're just scared yeah <laughs> I have a lot of conversations to have with you <laughs> off off of this podcast they're not uh we don't need to have them on here but yeah that is so good that's another thing that you guys need to write down you need to write down the I can be safe like safety's within what was the thing about my self-determination your right to self-determination does not threaten mine okay and then also things boil down to love, love or, fear. or fear and fear is usually just in our own minds yes it's not even ha- it's not even happening it's i it's love real you also said this when we were in california you said like anxiety is not real it's not real yes i know i love that because so many people will fight me out they're like yes it is i feel it i medicated for it i'm like yeah girl i can bill insurance with it but that doesn't make it <laughs> like a real like a real thing like what do you mean I'm like girl i feel it every you you feel the effects of what we call anxiety but it's like a psych buzzword it's real popular it's a dsm word now you know you can get pills for it and all that shit but when you, again, when you pull that back, it's just this really unique individual combination of anger and fear. That's what anxiety, it's a combo, right? You're pissed I used to off say and anxiety, you're terrified. Yeah, I used to say anxiety is a fancy word for fear. Yeah, and, you're scared. Yeah, and, and like you said, the fear, a lot of, it's stuff we make up in our head. That's right, what if, what if, what if, what yes. if, what if. And I say this all day to everybody. I'm like, guys, there's what if and there's what is. If something starts with what if, that's in your imagination. That's why it starts with what if. Oh my God, yes. That's how you know imagination, fantasy from reality. There's what if and what is. And if it's what if, it ain't real. It ain't real. You're making it up. It's the movie in your head. Come back out here with me. I miss you when you go away. Come out. Come come back out here with me. I miss you when you go away. I miss you so much. Come back. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, that's so good. Okay, so what we've done is we've, identified kind of the hole in the treatment system and how it leaves us, you know, set up to fail. 
even when we have really good intentions of course. to succeed. And we've identified this solution, which make sure that I'm getting this correct. A lot of it is the ability for me to maintain safety within myself and connection with people that aren't all on the same page as me at the same time. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and that. Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So how have you seen this done in your professional life? Like, how have you seen and how would you encourage somebody to set themselves up to eventually get from that baby deer leg spot mm. to the spot where I can stand? Love that question. Great question. 
I don't know how people are going to feel about this answer, but I think it's just the truth. Okay. I like that. I think the most direct route to empowerment is personal accountability and responsibility. Now, when I talk to people about that, they hear it sometimes in a context of blame and fault, like you're to blame for this or it's your fault for your life being that way. Kind of, yeah, right? Not in a bad way, in a good way. So the more I can zoom out and look at my life and really see the manifestation of all of my choices and decisions, yeah, I've made some pretty shitty ones. I think anybody who knows me knows that. But at the same time, 100% of it's in my control, which means that I then have all the power to change it. And I'm not sitting around waiting on somebody else or something else to happen. Like, I don't have to wait. I get to step up and like make different choices to produce different outcome, right? But before I can do that, really be empowered to make those choices, I have to back up and take a ba- accountability for my choices. So it's like, well, I'm in, I'm in re- eating disorder recovery because my mom died it all the time and my eating disorder is totally her fault. Okay, yeah, maybe that's how it kicked off, but I'm an adult now. So now mm-hmm. I have the power of choice. I'm not eight years old anymore, right? Yeah, maybe that's how it all started, but why is it still sticking around? I need to make different choices for me and I need to be empowered to make those choices. Oh my God. Yes. And let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. When we talk about accountability and responsibility, yeah. a defensiveness pops up. Oh my up. gosh, of course. Of course. Why do you think that comes? Fear. I Yeah. We're terrified, okay. right? So, you know, Kat, if you look at me and you're like, Courtney, you need to take accountability and responsibility. I hear, oh my God, I'm in trouble. Oh my God, I'm terrified. She hates me. She doesn't love me anymore. I'm not good enough. Wait, so what happens to guard me from that pain and that fear? Defensiveness. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to snap back. I'm going to blame shift. I'm going to start pointing fingers. I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to feel it's really, really important for you to understand me. That I'm good. I'm good, Kat. Yeah. And I need to justify that. Right. Now flip that coin over. If I'm safe on the inside... And you saying to me, Court, you really need to take accountability and responsibility. I'd be like, oh, God, I pro- maybe I do. Maybe there's some amends I need to make. Maybe I need. Okay. And I can recognize that as part of my humanity mm-hmm. and stay safe. Mm-hmm. Nothing's threatened. There's, yeah. it's, I'm not afraid, if that makes sense. But before I can be peace-filled enough to be empowered, I think there's got you, you, we got a level set with accountability and responsibility and understand that we truly are responsible just for us and that's an awesome thing yeah I love that's that. a great thing. I love you talking about that as a positive thing yeah because when when things are I want to use the word fault but I don't feel like that's the well, right no, word everybody but like d- yeah yeah, but yeah I have an icky I don't even want to say that word but it's I like yeah, when too, things are in the, my hand up. Yeah. well then I can then do something about it and that's a great thing (laughs) so what is it that we need to be doing like going back to the original question so I take accountability and responsibility and that leads to what yeah it leads to freedom so I think confidence and empowerment are very quiet Mm. I think fear and insecurity are very loud so when I feel activated and loud and I'm, I'm having a big, a big feel about something, I'm probably scared jealous of something on the inside. So what I do is I, I, I have learned to recognize that almost chemical adrenaline like reaction in myself. And I'll be like, yo, you need to sit on your hands, dude. Like, okay, self, you need a timeout. Let this chemical, let this adrenaline drain out of your body, out of your toes. And when this passes, 
zoom out and like, okay, what something, something just got okay clicked on in there. What is that? What am I afraid of? Okay, I have to write this down because I don't want to forget this and you guys can't see my face, but I just, my jaw dropped because <laughs> that was so good. Say it again. Confidence and empowerment are very quiet. I think they're quiet. I think when someone's truly confident and truly empowered with who they are as a, an animal, as a spiritual being having a human experience, I think it's a quiet, peace-filled experience because you don't have anything to prove to anybody, especially yourself. Fear I think and insecurity that, are loud. I think insecurity and fear are loud. They're deafening. They are in your face. They are self-important. They, they can cripple yourself and they can cripple other people. They're, they're space taking. They're just, they're big, right? Well, of course. I mean, look at animals in the animal world when they're terrified. There's so many different animals that like puff up or raise up on their hind legs or they mm-hmm. run, they get real big and loud. We're not any different. We're not any different. Right? So what I have found is that if I'm having a reaction to something, a thought, I have something that's happened in the world, something that somebody else has. It's threatening that quiet empowerment that I have. Okay, that's okay. I just got to look at that. It's an arrow to redirect me to a piece of myself that I need to work on and look at, which never stops. Like we never arrive. We never get there. We never like, oh my God, I'm totally enlightened now. Like it just, it never stops, right? There's always something new to learn, Mm -hmm. always something new to observe about yourself. But I think the goal is, the trick is to observe it like a science experiment and not judge it. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just there. That's yeah. That's okay. Just take a, it's okay. It's cool. It's all right. Let's just take a look at it and be curious. Let's poke at it and see what flies out of there. Yeah. Uh, Okay. We have more things for you to write down. (laughs) This is probably the most notes you've ever taken in a a podcast here. The the confidence and empowerment are very quiet. That is so, and then that whole idea of let's observe something and look at it like a science experiment. I always say to clients, like, this is an experiment. Like what we're doing is we're experimenting with things. But it's scary because experiment, the outcome of experiments are unknown, unknown and we are wired to fear the unknown. I'll have a lot of, it's really sad. It's getting younger and younger now, but, um, I mean, down to like 10, 11, 12 year olds, moms will bring them in to work with me. I mean, up until I think the oldest person I've ever worked with on this particular topic was in her 60s. Mm. I want to be confident. I want to feel confident. Or here, my daughter is so insecure. I want, I want to teach her to be confident. And my work with every single human is confidence isn't something I teach you. Confidence isn't something you learn. Confidence doesn't exist outside yourself. It's your natural state confident is how you came into this world mm-hmm. you learn to be afraid mm-hmm. you we learn social fears right like if you do that on the playground that makes you a bad girl mm-hmm. we learn what's wrong we with us learn yeah. what's we it's all yeah. learned so what happens is each new thing we learn to be afraid of stamps down stamps down shoves down pushes down that natural confidence so confidence is what buoys up to the top when you strip all the fear away you don't work to get it. It's already there. You, you're working too hard. Ugh. Yes. You're working too hard, maintaining all these fears. And when the fear goes away, the confidence is like, boing, it like comes right back up. And you're like, I'll pick a wedgie at a restaurant. I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, 
know. But it's like you don't, you're like, whatever. A hundred percent. And if you guys are like, look, really apply this to your life because you, how often do we hear build, we have to build confidence. We have to build it. We have to build it. No. Like what, what are the, we need the materials to build it. It's like, no, 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 no. It is built. We have to shed, yes. shed, shed, shed all of the learned fear. Shed it. It's not real. Somebody taught you that. Somebody taught you that as a control tactic. Like ditch it, ditch it. It's in your way. It's in your way now. And again, like anything else, I think there was a time and a place for that. Like little yeah. kids, you know, you got to teach them how to function in a society. I, I, absolutely. But it works until it doesn't work. And I think that sometimes fear, which should be used appropriately, right? We we take it too far, just like social, just like anything else, right? Yeah. Where it becomes in control of us and it it buries any kind of self-awareness or confidence we have. And I hear this all the time too, like, well, I... I I'm afraid to think something even positive of myself because that means I'm arrogant and I don't want people to think like I'm a bitch or I'm vain or whatever. And I'm like, I'm a narcissist. Yeah. No. Narcissists aren't worried about being narcissist. Right. Exactly. <laughs> if you're asking that question, you Not. don't have that. Noticing something or being conf- that you're good at or being confident in something is not arrogant. Thinking that that makes you better than everybody makes you arrogant. A hundred percent. That's t- something totally different. Let me get your thought on this. This is cat right now thoughts coming together. I'm trying to form. You're percolating. I can yes. See it. So a couple of weeks ago, I released a podcast talking about uh, self-worth versus self-esteem. And something that I know now and believe now about self-esteem is it, it, it is something that we have been taught we need to build, but it's something we build through outside experiences like my self-esteem is higher if I'm the smartest in the class or my self-esteem is higher if somebody says I'm the prettiest in the room or my self-esteem is higher because it's something that I worked and then I got the issue with that is that if self-esteem comes when you're better then only some people can have self-esteem and some people can't and then we're also like what you said it's the difference between being com- like self-confident and arrogant. It's like, I think I'm better than you because of this thing. And so then it gets us in this trap where we always, it's like a cycle where we always need to be building self-esteem because it only lasts for a period of time. And then if we go from one room to another, they might care about my job, but they, they don't. Do. So then right. I have to f- build something over here. Exhausting, isn't it? Yes. And so I'm wondering... This is something that I want you guys that are listening, like this is something I'm teasing out. Is there something we need to do about or study or think about when it comes to what we're focusing on? Like what's the difference between self-esteem and confidence? Because confidence feels more connected to Mm self-worth. I inherently am worthy as a human being, period. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to make it any more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem is I am good because kind of it's conditional it's quantified right so when we're talking about confidence we're saying hey you don't actually don't need the self-esteem like that is a thing that we've made up correct to help people feel better about themselves themselves and that is why we have maybe a narcissism epidemic right now because we have been telling people in order to have confidence you then have to be better than everybody versus in order to have confidence you just have to stop you just being afraid that you're not good you just have to be Good God. Did that make sense? There's a, yeah. Okay. You just have to be. <gasps> That's so, it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to feel about myself saying this later in life, but I just feel like maybe we need to write a book called Nobody Cares About Your Self-Esteem. 
or like <laughs> sub schemes for losers yeah, exactly. or like something yeah. like that. We're yeah. like, that has to stop being. Well, I think you're right. And I, periods of my life where self-esteem has been so crucial and critical to me, it's that, it's that same idea where you look, it's, you're seeking validation. You're looking for something or somebody outside of you to tell you that you're okay. And any phase of my life where I need that, I'm sure I'll have another one at some point. I mean, it comes and yeah. goes, right? Like you don't arrive one day and everything's fixed. But during those seasons of my life, there's something I'm really scared of on the inside. I have a little bit of a different take on self or or like being worthy. I don't think anybody's worthy. I don't think that's a real thing. Worthy of what? Who decides that? It's there's still a barometer. Mm -hmm. I I think that's all. I, I don't think I think we just simply are. I don't think anybody's good or bad, but, but that's I don't too- worthy or unworthy. I just think we are. I think there's choice and consequence. I, you know what I mean? I like what you're saying. And I hear people being like, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Because that doesn't give me an answer. That doesn't give me a roadmap. That, and what you just said is baby deer legs. Yeah. All that is. And that's okay. That's okay. I have so much compassion for that. So oh my this God. is, oh, guys listening that know me and know how I feel about this. This right here, <laughs> what we're talking about coming from a very seasoned therapist that I highly respect. This is why I cannot stand people on the internet and who are selling you these books, yeah. five steps to this. Oh God. Who are these self-help gurus who are, I mean, Sure, you can be self-proclaimed anything, and not everybody needs to have a degree from a school to be able to help people, but that is why I have such an issue, is because we're making shit up when we really need to be breaking things down, Yeah. but people are uncomfortable with what you just said. And I think that naturally so, right? I was uncomfortable when I first started to put put some of this stuff together. I'm like that. And here's why. It makes me uncomfortable because I'm American. And I I am programmed and trained to work and earn and achieve. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you're saying that like I've built my whole life and my sense of self on this premise that like I I can't earn. There's no roadmap. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And it ha- I had to take a lot of time and undo a lot of those messages and things that we learn. Mm-hmm. And our, of course, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's why I have so much compassion for yeah. folks new to this idea that you just get to be and you yeah. are totally safe. Again, as a spiritual creature having a human experience. Yeah. And you're having the same experience we're all having in your own unique way. Because it's harder to unlearn things than to learn things. Yes, And it that's is. where a lot, where this all is coming it is, from. It is. Um, and so it's like, the idea is like, I can be happier by doing less. Wait a minute. I'm wait, working too what? hard. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm doing too much. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen all of this stuff for ever. I mean, I've been, I've been working with clients for over a decade and it's not, rare it's 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 become just sort of just sort of this common experience right and especially with our treatment model with mental and behavioral healthcare treatment in the United States really all over the world it's we've got these real high intense levels of care right that are so needed and so appropriate but what's happening is you know all of my folks are coming home to me from these places and they drop down like you said I'll see them an hour a week if I'm lucky and there's too big of a gap. So I've been complaining about this for years and years mm-hmm. and years. And about five years ago, I was on the phone with my mom, really upset because yet another one of my clients was relapsing. And I felt ethically, somebody sh- should do something about this. Like, what's going 
she said, honey, you talk about this all the time. And I said, I do. And she's like, yeah, you're always so upset that there's not anything to help people with what they need, like an in, like an in-between. And I said, I do. And she goes, yeah. So either you do something about it or hush. <laughs> I said, okay, mom, if that's your real name. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Call me out on my shit. That's all right. Cool. So I hung up and I was like, oh God. I have to do, I have to do something. I have to do, there has to be something. So the answer to the perceived issue here, I came up with what I call the collective. The collective is a new level of care. It's between higher levels of care, like residential, partial hospitalization, IOP, things like that, right? Which there is such a need for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And outpatient, which is just seeing a therapist, kind of regular maintenance growth like more more slower like slower growth things like that but it's 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 so limited right because we don't I mean we're so overbooked and there's so much need Mm -hmm. on an outpatient level so what the collective is called is EOP which is extended outpatient it's and it's a set period of time so it's only eight weeks and the entire program is all centered around what we call a social health platform. Social health is not addressed anywhere. Nobody's talking about it. There is research on this, but it's not widely used. Mm -hmm. It's not commonly practiced. And in my opinion, what I have been seeing is so many resources for mental health, emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, all the facets of human growth, but there's nothing to help folks develop socially. And that's where we're seeing the biggest deficit in this country right now, right? Is more isolation, more loneliness. And if it's true, if we're onto something here where there's so much physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional health issues, mm-hmm. we're, we're peeling back all of these issues to find the common denominator it's separation and it's isolation and it's loneliness and it's othering and it's everybody feels so alone. And I think we all are figuring that out and seeing the fallout after uh, 2020 and the lockdown and the separate, it, it became, it became so glaringly obvious. It was too big to ignore it. At that it was point. too big. It just blew yeah. up overnight. And I thought, Oh my God, now everybody's going to see like, this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just started the collective right before the pandemic. And I'm like, Oh my God, my dad's an attorney. And he's like, abort, get out, shut it down. <laughs> You're like, oh, Close no. up. And I, I looked at him just kind of square in the eye. And I said, no, sir. No, no. Because I, I feel like it was such a beautiful opportunity for everybody to come face to face with what, what we've been dealing with all along. And it blew up in a way that, it, like you said, it could not be ignored. Um, so the collective is an eight week program. The groups that move through are closed, mm. right? So any, any group work you do at a higher level of care, the groups are homogeneous, yep. right? So everybody in there is going to be just like you because, again, it's baby deer legs. So you've got mm-hmm. to have that mirrored back to you. Of course, that is absolutely what you need at that, pro- at that point in the process. The collective exists and the groups are closed because it, al- it allows people to develop a sense of social health, right? The groups are small, no more than eight people, and they're all mixed diagnostically. So we'll have folks in there who are coming home from a rehab center. We're mixed with folks who are who are stepping up from an outpatient level, mixed with folks who have never been in therapy before. We'll have people with brand new diagnoses. We'll have people with no diagnoses. We'll have people with substance use issues, people with eating disorders, and people who just feel sad. Yeah. Right? But that's 
such a beautiful little microcosm of real life. That's real life. That's what you're talking about. It's like these people don't all have to be just like me for me to be okay with these people. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what we do. And we kind of teach people how to manage and own and be accountable for themselves and their life while in connection with other people who are doing the same thing. And what we're finding is that it's, it's incredible, Kat. Like, the people who graduate this program are different human beings than mm-hmm. the ones we met two months ago. And I think it's because they they feel safe and they don't rely on the collective to make a, them feel safe. They don't rely on, rely on therapy. They don't rely on sobriety. They, it's inside, inside of them. They keep that. They are squarely in charge of that. And there's so much peace and empowerment and it just, everything just kind of calms down when that moves from an external locus of control to an internal one. It's, it's pretty profound. So it's, it's really cool to be a part of it. I love the name of it, the collective. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's like me and the staff that we're the collective. And I'm like, no, it's all of y'all. Every, yeah. Yeah. It's everybody. It's everybody. It's all, all of us. Yeah. We just work here. <laughs> but the collective, yeah. it's the body of yeah. folks moving through this program and learning how to do community with each other. And then after each group graduates, after the eight weeks, we have this giant aftercare community where all of the groups get to be introduced to the folks who graduated before them. And they're continually introduced to all the people who graduate after them. So the network of like-minded people can grow and grow and grow and grow. And they're all so different from each other different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different experiences. And it's the most beautiful, healing, calming. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty awesome. You know, what is what I just thought of is, did you ever go to camp as a kid? Yes. Okay. So I remember going to camps and I ended up in college. I volunteered at these camps and that's more of my experience than being an actual camper. But you go to this place that you're connected to all these people that are literally so different from you. And then you ask yourself like, wait a second, how can I be like BFF with this person? Yeah. You know, like this is so why and how, but then you're like, I learned so much from this person and I don't want to let go of this person. And oh my gosh, I never would have met this person if there wasn't a place like this. And like when you say social health, I'm like, oh yeah, we're so separated in that. And you're giving us, and you're giving humans an experience to like go learn that we are allowed to be with people. Like we can take our camp friends home with us. Yes. Like they don't have to stay at camp. Yeah. It's not like we go to camp and that's where you can be friends with people that don't look just camp, like you. Yeah, dude. Camp friends are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're in your office. They're at your school. They live next door. They're everywhere because that's, that's it, right? Like instead of othering somebody because the shell is different, learn the skills and the tools to understand that on the inside it's it's all exactly the same we just want to love and be loved back that's it yes and let's coexist with different shells but let's connect that the squishy inside part yes oh my god (laughs) all right so thank you for being here oh my god what an honor thank you for having me we literally could stay here for three more hours but for the sake of everybody's lives we're not going to do that so thank you for being here i'm going to anybody who's listening who wants to know more about courtney who wants to know more about the collective or anything that we've talked about i will put links so you can just click something real easy and then be shot right to the interwebs of where that lives and connect in that way that will be in the show notes so just click on wherever you're listening to this it will be in there and give the collective a follow what's your instagram handle for yeah the collective? it's at my collective care okay amazing 
wonderful. Come see us. Um, We'd love to have you. And that's going to do it for us. So thanks for listening. If you have questions, so if you guys have any questions, any feedback, anything, send that to Catherine at uneedtherapypodcast.com. Remember we do couch talks on Wednesday where I answer questions that you guys send to me, which usually ends up me being a person who's asking questions back to you. Um, But if you have questions specifically about things we talked about in this episode, in this conversation, know that I welcome those. There's a lot in here. There's a lot that I'm about to write down. So yeah, send your curiosity my way and maybe Courtney will be back here again. I would love it. Yes. All right. Bye guys. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.